BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Are you ready for a test? Yeah. Okay. How about I tell you a joke? How many podcasters does it take to change a light bulb? I don't know. One, but to fully understand why, we have to first travel back in time to the year 1880. Fucking hell. This week's Lion Marathon winner is Erin Rich from Dover, Delaware. Erin will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Natalie Grillo. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast, we break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Special Victims Unit, Season 3, Episode 10, Ridicule. First male rape victim with female perps. That adds up to a lot of attention, doesn't it, Counselor? I am not interested in that. He is the first man to come forward. The statute for Rape One was changed in January, Detective. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and the Signal Awards nominated, you can't make this up, Rebecca Lavoie. Hello, Rebecca. Oh, wow. What an honor, Kevin. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, well, hey, you know, congratulations on being on the Signal Award submitted. These are their stories. Hey, I'm a double. I'm a double nominee, actually. You are? Yes, because one of the shows that I oversee at my day job is also a nominee. Outside In's The Underdog Series is a nominee in the sports documentary category. Hey, that's great. Hey, now. Hey, now. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And rounding out our panel is our special guest from the Obsessed Network. It's Natalie Grillo. Hello, Natalie. Hi. Thank you for having me. So I know you're hard at work on Obsessed Fest in Dallas later this month. Uh, what are we going to see if we show up? <laughs> and we are going to show up. But <laughs> Okay, good. Oh, my goodness. Well, we'll one C, yes. <laughs> we have so many amazing true crime podcasters coming, yourselves included. Um, we also have Robbie Achadri, Bob Ruff, Shana Landry, all of our shows on the network. Um, so I can't wait. And then we also have things like Drag Bingo. I'm doing SVU trivia. So a mm-hmm. ton of options. And give us the dates. It is Just, October. No, seriously, give me the date. What am I? <laughs> it is October twentieth to the twenty second in Dallas, Texas. And you can go to is it obsessedfest.com to sign up and get more details. Yes. Yep. You can purchase tickets. Come check us out. Now I know that you checked this out. We had a, we're going to be doing a live show again this year at Obsessed Fest of, of these other stories. We did one last year. Had you known about these other stories before you attended our recording? Last year at Obsessed Fest? 
I did not. I wasn't aware of the podcast. And then I mm-hmm. wanted to go to the taping last year, but I had to be somewhere else at that time. So I listened to it after the fact, and then I was hooked. So I've listened to so many episodes. It's nice to have a large catalog to listen to. So I've been a oh, big fan ever since. That's great. So are you going to like rearrange your schedule so you can come this time? Uh, hopefully, yes. We've just locked <laughs> in the schedule, so I've got to check. Yeah. <laughs> if not, I will be listening after the fact for sure. Oh, no, you got to come. There's video and everything. It's a lot of work goes into it. Natalie, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Definitely Benson and Stabler. I'm wearing my, I don't know if you can see it, my Benson and Stabler shirt today. I'm a big oh. stan. You're a big are you a are you a uh, uh, shipper a bench uh, stay what is, I don't even can't remember Bensler what's the matter with you I know I had I had uh, uh, Bassity or have you ever been on Twitter man come on uh, I know I was well yeah. you know I was not a shipper of them um, when he was originally on but then with the return and Kathy dying I'm like why not mm-hmm. let's do this <laughs> it's a, it's okay now he's a widower yeah. <laughs> And who is your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. You know, I was thinking about this and Cabot and Novak were strong contenders, but ultimately I'm going with Sonia Paxton. I just loved Whoa. her roller coaster of a storyline on that show. I think that's our first, right? Yeah. Wait, who? What? <laughs> Sonia was the ADA who was in. She started out being like incompetent at her job. She came mm-hmm. drunk to trial. Yeah. Uh, but then she made a great return and died trying to get justice for a victim. It's kind of a deep cut for me. I should know that. <laughs> I guess I got your first stumper for your SVU trivia game. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. SVU season three, episode 10, Ridicule. Just a note, we're going to be talking about fictional detectives investigating fictional sex crimes against a fictional male stripper. If you find that especially heinous, you can select another one of our episodes. That's code for don't cancel us, please. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're going to laugh a lot about a male getting raped. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You can switch off right now. You've been warned. It's fake. It's fake. Andrew Green comes home to find his wife, Sydney, tied up with a rope around her neck, apparently dead from autoerotic asphyxiation. Stabler and Benson aren't sure whether the death was an accident or whether there was murder. Any alarm bells going off on the husband? Several. He's hiding something. Getting off while choking isn't something you share with friends and family. People are always shocked when they get that kind of news. I still think the victim was entertaining. She had a new man or uh, probably got there earlier than he said. The detectives learned junk bond dealer Sidney's new marriage to starving artist Andrew was headed for divorce. But if he was looking for a big payout, he'd learn that she's broke. Her friends, hotshot lawyer Pam Adler and fellow day trader Amelia Chase said, Sydney liked to live on the edge. That includes her bachelorette party where she attacked the male stripper. Peter Green says the cops didn't believe him when he reported he'd been raped by three women and Stabler isn't buying it e- either. Elliot says, why didn't he fight back? Why didn't he say no? And why am I not that lucky? but Benson and Cabot want to pursue what would be the first case of a man raped by a woman in the state 
Peter tells Alex three party goers threatened him with a letter opener, cuffed him to a bed, yanked off his pants, and rode him like a coin-operated mechanical horse you see outside a grocery store. Mm. Peter picks out Pam and Amelia from a lineup, and the pair are charged with first-degree rape. Okay, Benson and Stabler are called in because the protocol is that it's treated like a homicide until the Emmy says otherwise. And they say, well, women aren't usually into autoerotic asphyxiation. When Benson says, well... Maybe she wanted to treat herself. Most women don't go this far, but they do like to self-serve. I guess if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And Kathy Stabler yells out, hell yes! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how do you think all those kids ended up around, right? It wasn't because he was doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, technically he did it right, you know, like, I don't know, five times at least, right? (sighs) Yeah, it's a lot of kids. <laughs> you know, there, there's quantity and quality, and I just I think we're leading into quantity. Yeah, yeah. definitely quantity with Elliot. Yeah, there's a reason why Kathleen was such a problem. <laughs> oh my gosh, a few of them were problems. <laughs> by the way, there was some talk in the squad room. Did you catch that Finn had been accused of police brutality by Pam Adler? Yes, for roughing up a. Cop killer. She cross-examined me on a drug bus where a cop got killed, accused me of police brutality. Don't tell me the perp went to the hospital. The drug dealer's still alive. The cop isn't. You know what that is? Sweet wisdom from Finn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, you know, this is coming from the guy who wrote a whole song called Cop Killer. Yes. Before he joined the cast. Here are the lyrics in case you forgot them. I got my 12-gauge sawed off. I got my headlights turned off. I'm about to bust some shots off. I'm about to dust some cops off. Yeah. My gosh, I forgot about that. You did? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so all his street cred just went like right down the track. Well, I think he got it back, right? No, he absolutely lost it right there. (laughs) Listen, he's raking it in. He's doing fine. It's fine. He's, he's part of this brand. He's embracing it. He's doing just fine. Some residuals here and there. Yeah. Yes. So Finn and Munch go to talk to fellow day trader Amelia Chase, who said that Sydney, quote, made a fortune in junk, which is ironic because Peter also made a fortune in junk, his own. <laughs> a fortune, though? Not a fortune. <laughs> just enough to help out that poor animal shelter that he liked to oh, volunteer for. He has such a big heart here. He did. Not just that. <laughs> how do you know? Well, apparently, I, probably not because he said that there was a badge that yeah. covered it. So, I mean, how big of a badge, really? <laughs> Natalie, have you seen a badge? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was like sheriff, like it had like the pointy stars and everything. It's like, yeah, bang. <laughs> so, the substitute medical examiner, known only as Justin, finally determines that Sidney's death was an accident, and he demonstrates it by using a hunched-over mannequin tied in ropes that he manipulates like a Muppet. She tightened the rope around her neck like so, and using an arm to support her weight on the bed, she leaned at a slight angle. She miscalculated, lost control, and passed out. Her body goes slack and acts as a counterweight. We call it gentle strangulation. That is some incredible knot work, by the way. Who at that office knew how to do that? I was wondering if there was a marionette expert. (laughs) On that, uh, in that cast. I was wondering, honestly, you know how like they get a lot of like Broadway people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if there was like a marionette show, maybe somebody from Avenue Q or something had like come over and like made that whole thing work, like some puppeteer situation or somebody from the Lion King. Yeah, yeah, because Natalie, this mannequin, by the way, 
has on this black curly hair wig and like a, a black leotard. And I buy that Broadway, excuse Rebecca, because it looks like this mannequin is auditioning for a chorus line. <laughs> it does. I was like, what is up with this mannequin's look? I was also wondering, though, if they were just asked someone in the squad, like, does anyone have a doll at home? Like, it looked like a blow doll from someone's house. They're like, I got one. <laughs> one with articulating arms. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It looks like she's dressed like she just fell out of uh, Jane Fonda's workout. <laughs> okay, guys, we get to see somebody before they were famous. Before they were famous. Uh, who's the up-and-coming actress playing Amelia Chase? Natalie, do you know? Do you recognize her? I do know. It's Diane Neal. You know, in some ways, we were kindred spirits. How so? There aren't too many women in our business. And we both like to make lots of money and show up the entitled men while we were doing it. Diane Neal, number one. Of uh, more than 100 appearances on SVU. Wow. Before becoming Casey Novak. She is, by the way, the longest serving ADA hmm. in the Law and Order universe. Yeah. Second wow. only to uh, Jack McCoy. Failed congressional candidate, Diane Neal. Oh, you know I'm going to get to that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but long before, Diane uh, was a competitive figure skater as a teen, started college at age 16, hmm. was pre med, studied archaeology, but then dropped out to pursue a career in modeling. All just like me. <laughs> How old was she when she made this episode? You know? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, early 20s. I don't have, I didn't do the math here. Yeah. Um, but see, her first job in Hollywood was, t- she was dubbing in English the lines for Cleopatra in a French film, uh, Asterisk and Oblique, Mission Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> it got une étoile. <laughs> <laughs> so Neil said that she had been fired But producers said, no, not fired. It's just that after five seasons, there was nothing more we could do with the character. And then they'd later say, hey, for season 24, let's say Finn likes to go fishing. Hmm. (laughs) Five seasons was enough for her, but they're still like, okay, Finn, here's another thing you can think is messed up. Yeah, it's almost like the women ADAs like age out or something of those roles or something. Yeah. Yeah. Born Diane Neal Fitzgerald. She recently moved to Israel. Because of, she says, the anti-Semitism she faced in New York was just way too intense. Hmm. Um, Her great-grandparents on her mother's side escaped the Holocaust. Even though she's got that Irish name, she's got um, got that in her blood. She says she feels safer in the Middle East. Hmm. Oh. That's quite a statement. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Natalie, you live in New York. I mean, what do you think is probably more dangerous? Oh, definitely New York. Yeah. Definitely New York. Okay, yeah. there well, you go. She, she lives like in the Catskills, so I yes, mean, right. come on. <laughs> oh. <laughs> As you know, Diane Neal ran for Congress as an independent. She received 1% of the vote. Well, when uh, asked on her candidate survey for Ballotopedia, she was asked what her favorite book was. And she said, Moby Dick, it's by far the funniest book ever written. And I'm starting to feel like I really don't know Diane Neal. (laughs) (laughs) Hysterical. I don't know if Diane Neal knows Diane Neal. Yeah. I remember her describing herself as like really, really liberal, but mm-hmm. also a libertarian. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all over the place. We have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hmm. Hey, it's that girl. Can you name the actress playing Pam Adler? She was supposed to meet Amelia and me for lunch. When she didn't show, we went over to her apartment. Sydney said that she wanted to be alone. 
but I think she had company. That is Discount Lori Laughlin, otherwise known as Paige Turco. Yeah, I know her as Bailey's not Jennifer Love Hewitt girlfriend from Party of Five. Yes, the yes. single mom. Mm-hmm. I watched that show from beginning to <laughs> end, and that's how I know her. She was just as smarmy looking on that show as she was on this episode of SVU. Yeah, you also may know her as Dr. Abigail Griffin on the CW sci-fi series The 100. No, I don't know that. Gail in American Gothic. Uh, also, she played April in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Two. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought she looked familiar, but I was thinking Diane Lane. But Lori Loughlin is definitely closer. Discount. Yeah. Disc- discount. 100%. <laughs> Uh, she was also Terry in the agency, and that is where she met her husband, co-star Jason O'Mara. Jason, by the way, has been the voice of Batman in the series of Justice League cartoons. Huh, those are good cartoons. How, oh. how, how like difficult of an acting job is it? You just want to go, well, I'm Batman now. <laughs> That's all you do, just talk like, I'm a really tough guy, but my real voice isn't tough. <laughs> Have you seen the Lego version of me? <laughs> that guy's funnier. He's <laughs> funnier. That's right. It sounds like the Husky ADA voice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Your Honor, I object. This is my this is my casting tape for Dick Wolf right now. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Paige uh, had been a ballerina before an ankle injury in her teens, and she says, "You can tell from how someone dances with you how he'll be in bed." Great dancers are usually great lovers. Uh, whether they're worth their two cents as people is another story. Is it Pam Adler saying this or Paige Turco yeah. saying this? Paige Turco says this. Wow. That's Ooh. some Adler-esque stuff right yeah. there. She is, yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, that's why you know my da- favorite dance is The Hustle. It's the one where you slowly walk together back to back. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. That's how we roll. That's how we roll in front of a bunch of other people. Um, So who's playing an attorney? Carolyn Maddox. Rape is a violation of body and mind. A violation that comes through penetration. Women can't rape men. I know. Who's that, Rebecca? That's CCH Pounder. Yeah, CCH Pounder. First of five appearances as this character on SVU. She was Dr. Wade on all all seven seasons of NCIS New Orleans. She's got four Emmy nominations, two for supporting actress in The Shield and an ER and two for guest performances in The X-Files and the number one ladies detective agency. Uh, she's also currently performing in Blueface as the spiritual leader in the Avatar series. <laughs> <laughs> the CCH stands for Carol Christine Hilaria, which is always hilarious when I think of Alex Baldwin's wife. Yep. Uh, she grew up, and this is CCH Pounder, uh, she grew up on a sugarcane plantation in British Guiana. And she is a huge collector of African and Caribbean art. She has more than 500 pieces in her personal collection. Uh, And so much that she started a museum in Senegal. And Chicago's DuSable Museum just wrapped up an exhibition of the African diaspora exclusively of her art. Wow. Yeah, now, by the way, my art collection consists of a 1980s poster of the St. Pauli girl. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I got. And we do have a crossover. Diane Wiest is here as Mothership Interim D.A. Nora Lewin. I don't like to play politics, but we can't be naive. If they find a way to use it, they will. By the way, she was Interim D.A. for two years. Hmm. Do you remember who appointed her Interim D.A.? Uh, Wasn't it Fred Thompson? 
No. No. Fred Thompson oh, comes oh, after. I do know. Oh. I do know. It was Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> yes. In a cameo, it was Rudy Giuliani. I've got to get back to City Hall. You're going to be absolutely terrific. You've been doing a great job, Jack. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you very much. Apparently, Rudy Giuliani came in because he had the power to appoint a, D- a new DA. And then he went fucking crazy. So <laughs> uh, we have a repeat offender. R- repeat offender. Joanna Merlin is back as Judge Petrovsky. We love her because she was the original Zidal in Fiddler on the Roof. Mm. Aww. Be prepared, be diligent, and be very brief. We do have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Who is playing Executive Assistant DA Stan Villani? Well, I have some doubts. May I ask why? Using a male stripper in the first real test of the rape statute is not a very judicious choice. I don't know either. You don't recognize him? Okay, that is the late Ron Liebman. Six Law & Order appearances, four. As Villani, he won a Primetime Emmy Award in 1979. As Kaczynski on a TV show he wrote and created named Kaz. And then then CBS canceled it two weeks later. (laughs) This is like, is it like the show that Steve Martin was supposed to have starred on and only murders in the building? Oh, like Brazos? Oh, yes. <laughs> Brazos, yeah. <laughs> Who loves you, baby? Oh, that's Kojak. Uh, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. That's Beretta. <laughs> he won an Emmy for a thing that was only on for like a couple of months? Yeah. Amazing. Good for him. Yeah, Very yeah good for him. That's showbiz, though. <laughs> he was married for 12 years to Linda Lavin, who was in was the classic TV character. Um, uh... Uh, Wonder Woman? No. Who's that? No. Linda. Linda, Linda Lavin La- was Valerie? No. No. Ah. Ah. Early to bed. Just say Early it. Early to yeah. rest. Alice. Alice. That's right. Kiss my Diner. grits, Rebecca. <laughs> Flo. Flo. <laughs> Mel. Alice. <laughs> <Okay>. Flo. <laughs> uh, Ron appeared on Friends as Rachel's father. Oh, remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he also he, apparently he got on set that day and began a lovely conversation with his uh, on-air daughter. He thought was uh, Lisa Kudrow was uh, Rachel because he was the one guy in America who didn't watch Friends. Oh, okay. He was in the control group. Gosh, huh. I have to admit, I'm not a Friends person. I'm a bad New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you mean you don't have a million dollar apartment? You get on a chef's salary? <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> Do you know the actor who's playing Amelia's attorney, Barry Fords? This better be good, Miss Cabot. No, I do not. Quick appearance here. That's David Adkins, four lawn or appearances. He's had, he's had bit parts in Homeland, The Americans, and Rebecca's favorite movie, The Thomas Crown Affair. Oh, I love that movie. Uh, he is a former Mr. Laura Linney. Ooh, lucky him. Yeah. yeah. She has three Oscar nominations, four Emmy Awards, and four nominations for Ozark. Mm. I'd say that this David, he doesn't strike me as a Marty, maybe more as a Ruth. Like, I don't know fuck about shit. (laughs) (laughs) Any chance you have to pull that out, you got to do it. Got to pull it out. (laughs) (laughs) Lastly, do you know the attorney who was walking into court with Pam when she gets brought in for questioning? Did you know who that was? No. No. Okay, that's the late Patrick Quinn, three Law & Order appearances for the trifecta. He was better known as a singer. He was in the sixth season of Schoolhouse Rock. I don't know, like, we always sort of kind of, like, know those first four seasons, like, History and Multiplication. They brought it back for another three seasons in the 80s or 90s. One was about financial literacy, the environment, and, I think, computers. 
which a lot uh-huh. of us didn't see. So he was in the one about financial literacy. Uh, Patrick was Max in the song Tax Man Max. Mm. Starting a whole new generation of young Republicans. <laughs> uh, so that season, yeah, they changed it. It wasn't schoolhouse rock. It was homeschooled rock. <laughs> and its songs were, uh, I'm just a bill, but I'd rather shut down the government. <laughs> Suffering because of suffrage. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. By the way, the pronoun song was really short. It was just two verses. <laughs> <laughs> there was the Great American Melting Pot, a.k.a. White Replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was the preamble to some document I've never read. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, No More Kings, except for this one guy. Uh- <laughs> Also making its last appearance on Law & Order, the World Trade Center. Oh. Could be seen through a window. This episode came out December 2001, so it was apparently filmed before uh, 9-11. Afterwards, NBC ordered all images of the towers removed from the credits of all three shows. Hmm. So uh, there is that. But back to the episode here, Uh, Elliot doesn't believe women, now he doesn't believe men. What is he even doing here? I can't. With Elliot in this episode. What do you think, Natalie? He is such a dick in this episode. (laughs) Such a dick. And him, like, the rolling up of the sleeves. I'm like, Elliot, no, no, no. I mean, he's just Elliot in this episode. He's undistilled Elliot. Like, this is the Elliot that I, when people give me shade over, like, like shitting on Elliot, Mm -hmm. this is what I am talking about. This is the guy that I am like, why do people want Benson to be with this guy? I hate this guy. This is what I'm talking about. This episode. Yeah. Yeah. But he's going to have lunch, so he's going to bring in Wong. Bring in Wong. He's not wrong. Bring in Wong. And so on this lunch date, he has, wants to try to pick his brain about, you know, why this big, strong, exotic dancer like Peter couldn't fight off the women. Does the victim have any siblings? Oh, uh, three sisters. There you go. A lifetime of instructions on how to treat women. Never hit a female. No manhandling. If you're angry, walk away. Yeah, but, but if he felt trapped... If they attacked him, it's self-defense. Why not just fight back? Because he had no control over the situation. But I find it way more interesting what Wong brought for lunch. Yes. yes. So he's got this Tupperware container of celery and carrots, yes. uh, an apple and a banana, and a bowl of chicken noodle soup. Yes. And yes. a strawberry milkshake. And crackers. <laughs> well, the crackers, yeah. But not like Ritz crackers. They're like some high-end, like the crackers you'd put out in a charcuterie plate. Yes. yes. He has every food group represented for his He does. Lunch. And the extreme close-ups in this scene... Of him just with those giant crackers. I, yeah, I couldn't focus on the conversation. All I all I could think about was Claire in the Breakfast Club when everybody has like their shitty lunches and she pulls out the bento box and yeah. opens it and it's got like the sushi in it and everything is like so neatly packed. Like how long was Elliot sitting there while he was unveiling that lunch <laughs> and like lining yeah. everything up on the table? But he also brought soup in a real bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Did he bring a can in and go, does anybody have a can opener? I want to... Is there... Is this just microwave or can I actually do it on the, you know, on the pot, on the top? Me, by the way, meanwhile, Elliot is eating a salad with his fingers. <laughs> with a comb, like with eating a comb Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> picking it up, putting it in his mouth. I mean, the actual hell. I'm just saying, Huang, somebody else who clearly listened to his mother and obeyed his yes, sisters. Exactly. Yes. So fastidious. 
Yes, this felt like a father-son scene where like some kid was behaving badly and had to go get lunch with his dad who could teach him some lessons. <laughs> who was the dad? <laughs> Goodness gracious. (laughs) So there's a a recurring thought experiment as as to whether men can be raped by women, like why they don't fight their way out of it. We women at the same time, most guys would call that lucky. So we're saying that uh, men are sex sounds and only women can feel violated? That's gender bias. Most women don't report rapes. What's the thing? Can't ask that question. Wouldn't ask a female victim. We question female victims all the time. I'm sorry. I'm. (laughs) This is so... Okay, Everyone describes Peter as not credible. He is completely fucking credible. Yes. And everyone keeps saying, can men be raped by women? Yes. Is this 1840? I know. And they've done multiple episodes on this. And it's the same story. It's the same excuses. I'm like, men can be raped. I I can't. This episode. I can't. Well, they do have everybody in the squad have the obligatory discussion about Gender discrimination. Yes, especially Olivia. She's spewing those lines and facts. Yeah, it's interesting that the men feel like it can't happen, but the women do. And the the women are the ones that fight for the, the male victim, Benson and Cabot. Yeah. By the way, Rebecca, did you know that when Peter, that he got 16% more assault than the other special victims? Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most guys would, th- would call that lucky, right? Damn, so lucky. <laughs> I mean, those are the kinds of things they say. Yeah. Most guys would yeah. call that lucky. I'm so lucky. This also, by the way, underscores not just the grossness of men around like whether or not a man could get raped. Also, the grossness of men of just like the stereotype of just like all just men want is just like sex all the time. And that even if they want to say no, the minute that it's presented to them, well, yeah, I'm in. I'm like, that is just so gross. Like, it's gross. And of course, like someone can be like, ew, no. Like, of course they can. Like, ah, ah, I I hate it. Yeah, Natalie, apparently the argument against all this has to do with uh, whether it's turgid. <laughs> the two messins police. Yeah. <laughs> Your Honor, if it's hard as a brick, you must acquit. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, so they have Peter pick Pam out of a lineup. And so to make this fair, they bring in every other 30 year old administrative assistant in a silk blouse that they can find. Mm-hmm. Yep. How, does, how is this helpful? <laughs> What do you mean? <laughs> well, it's like, oh, no, I, I couldn't really pick her out unless she was wearing a business suit. <laughs> the same business suit she apparently wore to the bachelorette party. <laughs> it's got to be a skirt. She mounted me with it. So <laughs> They were all dressed the same. I'm also, I was also wondering, like, was this Diane Neal's audition to be an ADA? They were like, that girl looks good in a business suit. Has the husky voice. Cast her. Yeah. Yeah. I was Maybe Paige Turco was up for the role as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, brilliant piece of writing in the first half of this episode. What's that? Diane Neal's like a high-end, some trader or something. Mm-hmm. And they, they walk into her office and she's on the phone with Germany <laughs> to a man named Klaus talking about the trading price of the Deutschmark. I can't talk now, detectives, but if you'd like to wait in reception. No, 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 no not you, Klaus. Deutschmarks are up three points. Will it hold? They couldn't do any better than that <laughs> nope. for like this finance woman like that's it a man named klaus and the price of the deutschmark like i could write that and i know nothing about <laughs> <finance>. <laughs> i guess like, i thought she was making a fortune in junk <laughs> <laughs> gotta get that junk. 
Klaus, was the Autobahn seeing a lot of traffic this morning on your way to do your Deutschmark trading? <laughs> My goodness. I know it's 7 p.m. there, but... Uh... How's your Wiener Schwitzel dinner, <laughs> Klaus? I know. I was waiting for her to start speaking German, but you know the writers. They were like, does anyone know German? Yeah. Can we throw in a line? No. I'm going to come visit you for Oktoberfest, Klaus. It's like... What what other German things does everyone in the room know that we can throw onto this conversation? <laughs> there was just one line. I lo- sometimes Finn and Munch have like those great one-liners. Munch had a line. Time and money. Some women learn early how to waste both. <laughs> such a Munch line. Well, not completely wrong. Yeah. Finn's <laughs> like you're so bitter. No, I'm just enlightened. I mean, Kevin might argue that in, in my case, that's not entirely inaccurate. No, you don't waste time. <laughs> or money. Time. <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Even though the new law is clearly on her side, Cabot faces obstacles prosecuting two women for raping a male stripper. A woman can be prosecuted for sodomy one by fellating a man against his will. She's not the penetrant, but she's still guilty. I contend that arousal implies consent. A physiological response does not override a vocal no. Most men do not maintain an erection through fear, counselor. But some men do. What do you propose, a tumescence exam? Cabot lost a previous trial against Pam, an interim DA. Nora Lewin doesn't want the case to look like retribution. She gives the prosecution to trial chief Stan Villani and makes Alex second chair. High-priced defense attorney Carolyn Maddox argues it's physically impossible for a woman to rape a man, but the judge allows the case to proceed. Now, at trial, the judge allows Pam to cross-examine her accuser. She gets Peter to reveal that he filed a $5 million lawsuit against Sydney and the two unidentified assailants. And Stabler says, I fucking know it! (laughs) (laughs) But Sydney told her friends that she was going to settle. And Liv and Elliot think that gives Pam and Amelia motive to kill Sydney. When uh, they ask Warner to double-check the autopsy, she says that Sydney's death was no accident. Olivia discovers they never dusted the bedroom ceiling for fingerprints, which would have been left by whoever tied the rope to the fan. The prints belong to admitted choker and stroker Amelia, who agreed... Don't look at me like that. That's what she says. Amelia, who (laughs) agrees to testify against Pam at the rape trial for a lighter sentence. Maddox scores points getting Amelia to confirm that Pam left money for Peter, not the actions of a rapist, right? The jury convicts Pam of a minor assault charge, but acquits her of rape. Maybe next time, she says, and is immediately arrested 
for Sydney's murder. Mm. So the uh, state of New York changed the word woman to person in the rape law. That's what we're talking about. So woke. And But yes. Pam tells the press after her arraignment that she just got a healthy sexual appetite. I admit to having intimate sexual relations with the alleged victim, a venal young man who wants to be famous. My only crime is being a confident, assertive professional with a healthy sexual appetite. So her defense is, I'm not rapey, I'm just freaky. <laughs> and you're sexist. Yeah. Yeah. I just like getting it in. It's very progressive in a way. It is. Very progressive and not progressive at the same time. <laughs> uh, Benson and Stabler go interview a woman from the bachelorette party, and she says, I thought it was rude at the time, but I needed to get home and relieve the babysitter. Also, relieving the babysitter is what Pam called it when he did Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so for this episode, Kevin, yeah. were you just like sexual innuendo, sexual innuendo, sexual innuendo, like in a way that like you've never been free to do, free to do before? It's so exciting for you. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like mm, maybe I could on this time I could make fun of the rape victim. Uh, I don't know. See, you're just like Stabler. Just like Stabler. Damn it, Kevin. Oh, Kevin. Damn it. Damn. All you had to do was fight them off. Oh, that's all you had to do. I don't know. I still like think like three women on top. Even like three kindergarten kids. You're like, I can't fucking get up. Exactly. Yeah. Got one dog. And I'm like, I'm trapped to this bed. <laughs> uh, so Maddox argues that the law is flawed. And the judge says, hey, there's no selective equality under the First Amendment. And that's because it would be the 14th Amendment. <laughs> and there's Google and fuck you, writer's room. You blew it again. Yes. <laughs> I was, uh, yes, Klaus. Oh my God, Klaus. <laughs> can't blame, can't blame Clarence Thomas for that one, but. Yeah, you know, don't they have consultants on this show typically? You'd think so. Yeah, they're like, well, the judge would wear a black robe and where's my check? Is Haven't they written previous law, like scenes though, in this show? Right. I mean, this is still an early season, so maybe enough people wrote in that were like, you're wrong about all of this. <laughs> hey, I do remember covering one episode where Finn said something was the time of death when it was actually the manner of death. Mm. Oh. So sometimes shit gets by. The time of death was homicide. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> the manner of death was seven o'clock. <laughs> Cause of death. The murder weapon was... 12 p.m. <laughs> so they make this big showing of Warner, who is away at the conference, so so she can now come back and check Justin's work. Yeah, of course. And she's, why does she think this is homicide? Because she's looking at the crime scene photos and she says, Most women don't use porn. They fantasize. Thank you, medical examiner, Melinda Warner. <laughs> yes. This is before the days where you could just get as much stepmom porn as you want. Yeah, because that's what women phone. like, Kevin. Women like to watch uh, <laughs> young men having sex with one of their parents. That's what we're super into. Yeah, well, yeah but they like the part where it's their stepson, right? Oh, my God. I don't. I, I'll never get that. <laughs> no. I'll never get the algorithm that's like, yeah, that's what you want. Yeah, that's what. No. I mean, who? I mean, I'm, I know that obviously people want it because it's there and it's like popular, but ugh. Yeah, no, none of that, like, familial incest. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, they pointed out, okay, there was no porn, but they later they pointed out, there's a mirror. <laughs> a mirror and the candles and the music. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, there's candles in the bathroom. What is going on here? I love myself. Yeah. 
I turn myself on is what's going on there. I'm not saying me. I'm saying that's what's going on there. Yeah. I string myself up. Yeah. I really love that Melinda had such in-depth analysis of this. Like she had knowledge. Yeah. And she's also like, well, um, whoever did this, they knew how to tie the knots. Like, well, why aren't you talking to Justin? And his fucking mannequin. <laughs> somebody knew that. Somebody there knew how to do that. <laughs> Find out one of those administrative assistants in the silk blouse if they know anything about clove hitches. And Amelia, Pam, were you, either, were you a Girl Scout? <laughs> were you a Girl Scout? <laughs> Did you sail at camp? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I just noticed how Amelia was always wearing these ascots. Like she was a flight attendant. Mm, yes. And they're like, well, they'll hide something like with a turtleneck or um, a scarf. A scarf. <laughs> I immediately I rethought my winter wardrobe because I'm like, what are people <laughs> thinking? <laughs> I couldn't believe that when they were like, CSU didn't dust for Prince. I'm like, why didn't they dust for Prince? Like they really stuck with like a one foot radius. Yeah. When they, she got on yeah. the ceiling. I was so upset about that. Yeah, you wouldn't normally think you'd look for evidence on the ceiling. She was literally hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> no. Nobody thought about that. Nobody thought about the that. The ceiling was the crime scene. That's <laughs> what I mean. Dust the whole ceiling. You had one job. I mean, if she was hanging from the door, they would have dusted the door. Well, she was God hanging sake. from the ceiling fan. And I got to tell you, I do not have enough faith in my electrician that that fan would hold them my way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's more likely to die from a concussion yeah. of it ripping from the ceiling than, you know, being choked to death. Yeah, you yeah, notice that true. no one asked why she couldn't fight off two women, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> two friends. <laughs> God damn it, get into this nighty. <laughs> why did Pam have to do the cross-examination which was ostensibly some sort of intimidation tactic if she was only going to ask, like, the one question. <laughs> Sir, don't look at them. Look at me. Did you file a civil suit? Objection. Badgering. I needed information. Yes or no? That's not how it was. Your Honor, please order the witness to answer. <laughs> she wasn't like, are you afraid of me, Peter? She wasn't, like, skulking around the room. She was like... Did you file a lawsuit? A question which literally anybody could have asked him. Why did she have to be the one to ask that question? Gosh, I think it was a power. I think it was a power move. I think yeah. she just really wanted to get that enjoyment out of it. I mean, there's a lot of things here where they you can say, well, you would never say that to a woman. Like you would, like the detectives are like, didn't you say no? You know, they would never like they say really, that to women on the show all the fucking time. But we're not yes. cool with it. We're not cool with it, right? And all these other things. Can you imagine in the case in court? Where they had the female victim and the male rapist says, I'd like to question her, Your Honor. Also happens on this show. It sometimes. does happen on the show. <laughs> I was going to say, I've, seen, I've it. seen it. All I could think of was like the Robin Williams episode where he's like, I'm going to be my own lawyer. And yeah. yeah or Peter Lewis. Yes. Peter Lewis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess I wasn't thinking far enough. I was still in my, my season three mode. Yes. <laughs> and later on, they have a meeting. And they're like, okay, first off. That went really well. <laughs> Secondly, um, what I think we should do is we should bring that idea back sometime. <laughs> yes. Nobody complained. We, the sponsors <laughs> didn't boycott. Yeah. Let's do that again. And make it scarier. Make it, yes. yes. <laughs> and, and 
I'm not really cool with Finn beating up people. <laughs> so maybe we should just keep, you know, at some point, let's get him out of the business suit. Yeah. He's not yeah. a banker. <laughs> and let's make him more talk about sneakers. Exactly. Let's have more of that kind of conduct. Yeah. 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 <laughs> let's get him a subscription to Stitch Fix. <laughs> So this is the deal that Cabot wants to make a lighter sentence for homicide in exchange for testifying in a rape. So if you ever wondered who'd be better going head to head Cabot or Novak, my money is apparently on Casey. (laughs) (laughs) BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Rip from the Headlines. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Rip from the headlines. Some inspiration for this episode comes from the 1977 manacled Mormon case. Joyce McKinney had a brief fling with BYU classmate Kirk Anderson. Racked with guilt, Anderson confessed his sins to his Mormon elders but McKinney became obsessed with her one-time lover. She stalked Anderson across the West, eventually following him to England, where he was doing missionary work. With the help of an accomplice, she lured Anderson to a meeting house, then chloroformed him. He woke up in a secluded cottage, chained to the bed with mink-laced handcuffs. He said for three days McKinney raped him, hoping to get pregnant. McKinney told reporters she and Anderson were in love. She used bondage to help him get over his sexual hang-ups. The tabloids outdid one another with splashy headlines and lurid details. Days before her trial, McKinney fled to America using a fake passport. The British government never attempted to extradite her and she started a new life in Utah. In the years after the manacled Mormon case, McKinney experienced mental illness and homelessness. In 2019, she was charged with a hit-and-run crash that killed a 91-year-old Holocaust survivor who was walking his dog. A judge ruled that Joyce McKinney was unfit to stand trial and was committed to a psychiatric facility in California. Well, what what a life there. Uh, while in Utah, McKinney dated Wayne Osmond from the Osmond Brothers. Yeah, well... Oh, Who did it, right? That's where they are. <laughs> that's where the Osmond Brothers <laughs> she, are. She probably dated like one of the Huffs from the Huff dancing family, yeah. too. Um, and the Romneys. <laughs> so... <laughs> So Sai said something there that made me raise my eyebrows. Yeah, what's that? 
after this incident, she experienced mental illness. I think she experienced mental illness yeah, probably. during and before this incident as well. Is yeah. My, is yeah. My yeah, but she had been relatively, we'll say, functional yeah. um, you know, in the world. It wasn't until much later in, in life. Because she had had, I mean, she had had issues here. I, I, I was really surprised that the U.S. government knew that she came in on a fake passport. They knew? They knew it was she. She had faced. She was charged with that very minor like uh, sentence. And what I think year it was, was a this? fine. That was nineteen seventy seven. Okay, 1978. so it was, that was in post nine eleven. Yeah, <laughs> okay. no, exactly. And they were just like, uh, the, and the British government never filed to you know, to get her back. So mm. that just kind of went away. Uh, McKinney told reporters in uh, Great Britain that everything was consensual, and her goal was to get him out of the Church of Latter-day Saints. So in other words, she was trying to fuck the Mormon out of him. Yeah. How'd that work out? Yeah. She tried and tried and tried, and it didn't work. (sighs) She says that when she first tied him up and tried to have sex with him, he became impotent, so she stopped and chanted a prayer over his limpness. I thought she was trying to get him out of the Mormon church. This is so confusing. I don't know. Just asking Jesus to come into this make it a (laughs) three-way? No? Evan, we all know Jesus is in America. Oh, that's right. It's rich. <laughs> Jesus, I, I hope you can hear me across the ocean. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jesus. Yeah. Did, you need, did you need some help with that boner? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, this is so weird. This is the, what happened to the dude? Are you going to tell us what happened to the dude? Uh, what happened to the dude? We probably don't know. Well, no, he ended up becoming, uh, going back uh, west, he became eventually, I think, a very uh, successful real estate uh, owner, yeah, um, mm-hmm. and 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 even in the years after, McKinney continued to stalk him. Yeah, go out to different places, and um, I, she she was very troubled. She became a tabloid fixture. Um, she posed naked for a British tabloid. This is mm-hmm. all before she fled, and she was uh, also the date of Who drummer Keith Moon to the London movie premiere of Saturday Night Fever. Oh my gosh. What? I'm getting real Jerry from Survivor vibes. This is after? This This is after the arrest, before trial when she fled. (laughs) That is an old ass reference about her feelings about Colby. Is that what you're talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Jerry ever like like handcuffed Colby to anything, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the handcuffs, they were were like mink laced. Yeah. They're all fuzzy handcuffs. Yeah. Um, so in between her time as the Manacle Mormon and that, you know, 2019-2020 fatal hit-and-run incident, Ugh. McKinney was in the news because in 2008, she had her dog cloned by South Korean scientists. That's like $50,000. How'd she afford that? She uh, sold her house, and she had five puppies cloned from her dead pit bull named Booger. Yeah, so oh she gosh. picked five boogers, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so she sold the house to afford the procedure. Uh, this was actually the first litter of cloned dogs. Someone had cloned a dog before, but this is the first time they had a litter of dogs wow. that were all clones. I'm starting to think she has real attachment issues. <laughs> Just a little bit. That is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Natalie Grillo. Natalie, how can our listeners follow you online? Oh, I am at Nat Grills on Instagram and at Natalie Grillo on TikTok. 
And Rebecca Lavoy, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, they can follow me everywhere that one could be followed. Uh, I'm on TikTok, but I don't post there. I just lurk at Reb Lavoy. <laughs> you can track me on Twitter, which has been renamed at Kevin P. Flynn. It hasn't been renamed Kevin P. Flynn. Twitter has been renamed, comma. Uh, you also can tweet to us at Law & Order Pod. Follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Catch us on YouTube and TikTok now. I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> uh, our newsreader is Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valley's content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.